Jesus is the greatest of all time. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Now, you would expect to hear something like that on a Resurrection Sunday. You would expect to hear that, but I hope to be able to make the case that he is just that. See, what he has done proves that he is the greatest human being of all time. And based on the scope and the effect of his work, he is the greatest of all time. His people may not always represent him as well as they should. We may be inconsistent in the way we image him, but there is no fault in him. And this morning, I'm sorry, sweetie, uh, would you mind bringing me my, uh, that water that's back there? <laughs> Thanks. Yep, that's, that's her name to me, it's, it's sweetie. Her name is sweetie and my name is Boo, so yeah. <laughs> but this isn't sweetie, this, this is my grandson. Thank you, thank you, Josiah, appreciate you. There's always conversation about the greatest. Right. It started in, in my day. It could have started before this. I'm sure it started before Muhammad Ali was floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. bee. But he was the one who would say, I am the greatest all the time. Right. And he would be so accurate with some of his predictions about when he was going to knock people out. You had to wonder, is he the greatest? Who's the greatest athlete of all time? Is it Muhammad Ali? Is it? Is it Tom Brady? Is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron James? The responses that we hear and hear indicate that there is some debate as to who is the greatest, but the greatest of all time is not any of those people. They may be the greatest athlete. They, they, they rise up into the conversation, but they are not the undisputed greatest. Jesus is undisputed. The reason that I think he's, I say that he's the greatest is because Well, let me backtrack. He's not just the greatest for me. He's the greatest for everyone. Whether we know it or not, Jesus is the greatest that there's ever been and that there ever will be. Why is he the greatest? And what impact does his being the greatest have on me? What does it have on you, whether you are one who follows Christ or does not. And I think the reason is because it begins with we're going to walk through why he's the greatest. And I will begin with you. We'll begin with us. We'll begin with humanity. For Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has placed eternity in the hearts of human beings, that he's done that. Ezekiel 18.4 tells us that there was a proverb at the time where uh, people were thinking that, that the son would suffer for what the father has done, right? Um, and so God was like, look, you're not going to be able to say that, but listen to what God says. He says, look, every life belongs to me. The life of the father is like the life of the son. Both belong to me. Then he says, the person... The individual who sins is the one who will die. So not everyone's going to receive the consequence for what one person does when it comes to sin. But but mind you, this God will hold people accountable for their sins, which is why this Jesus being the greatest is such good news to us, because everybody sins. There's not one person who's entered the world that did not sin except Jesus. And if Every soul belongs to God. And he is the one 
who is going to bring consequence for sin. Then we need to find a way to not have to be accountable for our sin. We have to find a way to be delivered from our sin. We have to find a way to be transformed from people who pursue sin to people who pursue God. See, it doesn't profit a person anything to gain even the entire world but lose his or her soul. The primary reason that Jesus is the greatest is because of what he has done for you. See, what he has done has impact for us all. If we would hear his voice, Scripture tells us. If we would not harden our heart. Listen to what it says in 1 John 2, 2. It says he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Are you, whoever you are, are you part of the whole world? If you are part of the whole world, Jesus has given his life as a sacrifice so that the sins that you do naturally, you do not have to stand before God aware of those. But you can be aware of the sacrifice that has been made for you to be able to stand in God's presence without terror and without fear. But instead, having joy, as we've expressed today, as we should express with all of our life, having that joy. Listen to what scripture says about God. It says, for God so loved the world. He loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is not, I don't think there's not one person that I would exchange the life of my one and only son for. I have only one son, so. But I wouldn't exchange his life for anyone else's. But God gives his son. It says that it goes on to say in verse 17, for God did not send his world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So that's what you need to remember about yourself and a little bit of what you need to remember about Jesus. You can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. And we have quite a bit to read, so I'll just begin even as you're going there. Reading from the Christian Standard Bible. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In order that in in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is a is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established, for a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood, for, even, for when every command had been proclaimed by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, along with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In, in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the, all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. 
And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified by with these sacrifices. But heavenly things, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has, offered, he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you so much for all that it accomplished for us as human beings, we thank you that we are now, those of us who trust in him, we're now reconciled with you. We have life beyond this world. We have hope, even in the midst of our trials and even in the midst of, of, of tragedy that happens here in this realm, Lord, we have a hope that extends beyond all that we experience here. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, I pray that you would speak specifically to uh, the spirit of people, Lord, the soul, Lord, while there will be some logic, Lord, I pray that you would please reach uh, the inner man, Lord, and I pray that you would save, I pray that you would encourage, I pray that you would help us to offer our lives as a pleasing aroma to you because you offered your life for us. Lord, we ask you that you would pour your spirit out upon me, and I pray that you would please um, speak through me. I pray that if any inaccuracies, Lord, that they would fall by the wayside and be um, rejected, not heard, Lord, but I pray that your word would find place in people's hearts, and I pray that their hearts would be good ground, that it may bring forth fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Man. Why in the world did I choose this passage? It's a lot. Somebody testified and said, yes, I heard you. But I think in order for us to appreciate the resurrection, and especially because for many of us, I know I've heard the resurrection story from childhood, right? So I know the story, right? I, I appreciate it. And I obviously embrace it. But I think what can propel us to where we need to be in terms of living in last days like these and having people, um, you know, turn away from the church, which is God's um, representative on the earth, though, as I mentioned earlier, it is imperfect and there are false churches. It is helpful to know the effect of what Jesus has done in detail. It is advantageous to know what his sacrifice has accomplished for us. And so in this passage, though it may look a little strange to you, um, I believe that there is a declaration, that there is also an explanation and an elaboration. So those are the things we're going to look at to make the case that Jesus is the greatest of all time. So we're going to, as I said, break this up in three, in, in three sections. So the declaration, verse 11, Jesus appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. So as the writer, well, first I should say this about Hebrews in general. Hebrews is the book that says, you know what? We'll compare Jesus to everything and he's ultimately better than anything. We'll compare him to the old covenant and he's better than that. We'll compare him to the old sacrifices. He's better than that. He's a, he accomplishes more. He is number one. He is the greatest. 
That's what Hebrews is all about. And particularly in contrast with the law and the Old Covenant, Old Testament. He is, as we read earlier, he is the fulfillment of what is in the Old Testament. So here is the way that, oh, I'm sorry, and, and, and chapter 9 actually really contrasts the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But um, we didn't start at the beginning because I thought it might be too much. So um, you, can, you can read the beginning um, of chapter 9 um, on your own. But here it says that Jesus has, that Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Now, most of us are not familiar with, with priests anymore, and there's a reason for that, which I hope to be, remember to mention earlier, uh, later, excuse me. Um, but the priest was one who he actually um, made sacrifices to God on behalf of the people because of their transgressions. And I'll just say the reason why many of us are not familiar with priests is because according to uh, what, even what we've just read, we don't need a priest anymore. We, Jesus is the ultimate priest and he's made the ultimate sacrifice. So he doesn't need to continue in terms of like making sacrifices. But he's the not only the priest, he's the high priest. He gets to go where other priests cannot go. It'll it'll make this stick with me. Because I know it's a lot of stuff in, in what, what I read that it might be unfamiliar. So he's the high priest of the good things that have come. And then it talks about same verse, but next sentence in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. So in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle that was made. It was patterned after what was in heaven. So God showed Moses what to do. They built the tabernacle and the tabernacle is simply a temporary uh, shelter or dwelling place. So he makes that and, and God's presence is in the tabernacle. And people go there similar to how we come to church. They go there and they worship God there. That's what they do. In the tabernacle, though, there are many different uh, parts of the tabernacle. And one of the places that's in the tabernacle that not everyone can go in this place is called is the most holy place. So verse 12 says, speaking of Jesus, that he entered the most holy place. So so the most holy place, um, as mentioned, only the high priest could go into the most holy place. As a matter of fact, if you were not the high priest and you went into the most holy place, you would simply drop dead. And the, the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for himself before he went into the most holy place. So tradition says that they would tie a rope to the priest's ankle with a bell on it. And so you would, you know, say this, the bell. And I'm up here moving around. You hear, you hear what's going on. You hear me moving around. But if all of a sudden you heard it stop, you would know you're supposed to take that rope and pull that brother out of there. Because he didn't gone. That's, that's how holy it was. That you couldn't come in there sucking and, dry, and, and jiving. You had to come in there correct. I mean, we, you know what? We, I mean, we're so familiar with God that sometimes we come sucking and jiving. But I know, I pray, I pray that we want to come before him correct. You don't, you, you don't I mean, yeah, I pray that we do that. But I, I pray, you know, that I'm, I'm glad we're not back then. Because, you know, I might go behind that wall and you stop hearing them keys jingle and then like you have to come drag me out. (laughs) Thank God for his grace. Well, his grace has been poured out on us because of Jesus Christ, because he was able to go into the most holy place. Not many times, but once for all. And he didn't do this by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood. He presented. So he's a high priest that offers himself as a sacrifice. And he obtains at the end of verse Uh, 12. He obtains eternal redemption for us. So just remember that whenever you're tempted to doubt where you stand with God, please remember that Jesus has secured for you eternal redemption. What when you think about eternal, I know when I think about it, I think about forever, forever, forever. Amen. No end at all. The only thing that can stop you in the Lord is doubting 
the eternal nature of your redemption. So this morning, I'm just telling you, don't stop doing that. Don't do it. Because what that does when you start doubting it, it enables you to give up. It enables you to give up. Don't give up. Things get hard, but don't give up. Because an eternal redemption has been obtained for you by a high priest of the good things that have come that went into the most holy place once and for all, not with blood from anything that comes from here, but his own, and he presents it to God himself. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a cow, listen, this, this, this is what used to happen in the old covenant. So, so they, we're not familiar with this, but this is what would happen. The bloods of, of goats and bulls and the ashes of young cow would be sprinkled um, on those who were defiled, and it would cause them some, I mean, the arrangement that God had, the covenant just simply means agreement. So the agreement that God had is if you, when you sin, if you do these things, like I'll forgive you. If you do, you do these things in faith. If you, you know, offer this, offer that, sacrifice this, sacrifice that, then I will, I will forgive you. I will purify you. So the writer of Hebrews is, is saying like, you know what, those things, in, in, in a way they purified those people, they purified the things that, that were there. But verse 14, again, he's contrasting, right? So verse 14 saying that that could happen with the, with the blood of goats and bulls, 14, how much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Yesterday during the Alpha course, which we do virtually, Alpha just answers like big questions about Christianity. The question it was answering yesterday was, how can I overcome evil? And we try to make sure that we kind of get to know each other a little bit. So I just asked, you know, People, if, if they would share something with us that they just regret doing, just regret doing. So since I had a chance to think about it, I came up with this real deep situation where I was eight years old and my friends were around the corner of this building. And I peeked around and some I just peeked around like in time enough for this rock that had mortar and other rocks attached to it. You know, those kind of that kind of rock one of those real rough things to meet it with my eye. So I really regret doing that. But man, the people in the course, they shared some real deep stuff. And one of them shared how they were so tempted to end someone's life that they were on the cusp of doing it. And they were only about eight years old at the time. They said that it took a long time for them to, like they didn't think it was wrong at the time and they were extenuating circumstances where, where I understand what they were saying. But that awareness like, what can take that away? That awareness that you're capable of that. And we're all capable in the right circumstances. No one is above anything, believe me. Well, what can cleanse your conscience from not just the temptation and the almost doing something, but say if that had happened and she did it, what could cleanse her conscience to be able to serve God, the one who cannot have any sin in his presence at all. What could cleanse a conscience who was capable of not only thinking that, but grabbing something, about to do it, but then didn't do it, but know that that's within me. What could cleanse that conscience to say, you know what, I can serve God. Well, it's the sacrifice of Christ. So regardless what you have ever done in your life, if your past comes back to haunt you every single day, 
There is freedom in Jesus Christ because he is the greatest of all time. He is the greatest of all time because he's the high priest. Okay, that's good. Um, he, 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 he goes into the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the ultimate tabernacle that isn't made with hands, but the one that's actually in the presence of God. He goes into the most holy, not the one that the high priest would go to and fall dead, but the one that's actually in heaven. He goes there and he offers himself as a sacrifice to God. And not only does he does it, but God accepts it. And so anyone in him? Yes. Our consciences can be cleansed from dead works so that we can serve the living God. So that we have confidence that we're actually serving God himself with what we are doing as we offer our life as a sacrifice to him. Verse 15 says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Another reason we don't have priests, another reason why we don't, you don't, I mean, we confess our sins freely to each other, right? But you don't, we don't have this arrangement where like, hey, look, um, every week, like somebody, you need to like confess to me or Kurt. Because we're not mediators. You know what we are? We, we're just, we're just guides. Jesus is that way. That's who we are. We're pointing you to Jesus. We can't mediate anything. We don't stand between God and people. No, we just simply point people to Jesus so that they can get to God. So he is the mediator of a new covenant, a covenant that doesn't need all of those sacrifices that were done over and over and over and over again and done so much that it doesn't even have any effect on the conscience whatsoever. That it's just like business as usual. Yeah, but man, it's, it's Passover. Or it's this, or it's that. And that's just what we do. It's just like some people who have gone to confession. I, I, I used to go to confession when I was younger. And some people would go so often. This wasn't the case with me. I, it was always a sobering thing for me at the time. Um, but, but some people go so often that it really has no effect on their behavior at all. Well, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant where all of that isn't necessary to do over and over and over and over again. He's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There's that word eternal again. Why are they able to receive it? Because Jesus died for them. Because a death has taken place, it says, the back half of 15, for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The explanation just goes on to say in verse 16 that like, well, there's been a death, so the will can be executed. So that's all, really, that's all the, the next section is about. It's where a, a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established, right? So we know that there, when you, if, you, if you're trying to get benefits off of somebody because someone died, you have to go and you have to present the death certificate, right? You have to do that. You, that's what you have to do to establish that this person did die. Four, verse 17, a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in effect uh, when the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant, so this is why death for whatever reason, death was required for redemption to take place. So even if it's not the death of the individual, the death of the animal has to happen. There has to be death. Blood, blood has to be shed. Here's another like insight into what Moses did. What, when it's talking about the old covenant, it's talking about the covenant that God made with Moses. Remember, covenant is agreement, right? So they agreed, God, here's what God agreed to, and this is what you agreed to as my people. Verse 19, for when every command has been proclaimed by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water, scarlet, uh, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people. So he would take, I think, a, a hyssop branch, he would dip it in blood, and he would just like sprinkle it. Boom, boom, just it would get on you. So, so like if you, if you, so when I, so when I was Catholic, I do think I remember sometimes they would do that with holy water, like just 
Ooh, just like get it out there, right? So this is what Moses did with the blood. Get it on you. Get it on you. Get it on you. Get it on me. He would sprinkle the scroll itself, the people, and he would say, this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you. In the same way, he would sprinkle the tabernacle so all the whole church just would be like sprinkled with blood. Goodness. And all the articles of worship, the microphones, this, that, everything, the drums, just everything sprinkled with blood. See, according to the law, verse 22, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. No forgiveness. It's not even possible without the shedding of blood. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies, the copies meaning the things that are on earth, of the things in heaven to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. So this is why Jesus needs to come, because we're not talking about cleansing things that are just like eye level. It's like there's a different type of, of care you need for scraping your, your knee or your elbow than if you have a brain trauma, right? Or if you have mental health issues, right? There's a different way you need, to, you need to handle those things. If we're talking about ultimately being made righteous through Christ, then it can't be the copy of the things. He has to go to the source, which is the heavenly things, and those things need to be purified with the better sacrifice, which is himself, Jesus Christ himself. So that's the explanation. It's like, okay, here's what happened with the copy. Okay, Jesus does that in the heavenly. So it's not just the eye surface. It's below the surface. It's the behind the scenes. It's the, it's the, it's the locus or the, 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 the uh, place of origin of the offense. The offense was against God himself in heaven. So Jesus takes the sacrifice to God himself in heaven. So that's the explanation for like how is Jesus greater than the sacrifice the sacrifices that Moses would present. Well, Moses was hitting the the copies. Jesus bypassed the copies and he went to God himself. He purified heavenly things themselves, not the copy. Now to elaborate is to expand or embellish a detail. Verses 28, 24 through 28, elaborate in this way. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself so that he might appear in the presence of God for us. Remember, none of us could stand in God's presence. Remember, even last week, just the, the reminder, when you read your Bible, we mentioned this last week, how when people come into the presence of God, they automatically fall down. They, they, their strength is zapped from them. They have to be given permission to have strength to stand. Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might appear, now appear, in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest, the high priest who would do things according to the Mosaic law, enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another Otherwise, he would have to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. And we know that he hasn't done that. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Why is Jesus the greatest? 
Well, here's some of his resume just from this chapter. He affects a, a, a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle in heaven is not a temp, that's not considered temporary, right? So Jesus is able to go to the more perfect tabernacle. So it's not a place where the presence of God cannot be. Because I mentioned earlier that a tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place. That's one of the definitions for it. There's a few definitions for it. Already mentioned, already elaborated on the fact that he goes into the most holy place. He goes into the place that, like, everyone cannot, you can't just go there. You have to be qualified to get in there. He does it not, not over and over again like the old covenant, but he does it one time. And he accomplishes for us eternal redemption. He does this not from outside and toward God, but he does it in the very presence of God. He doesn't do it over and over again, but he does it again one time and he goes to heaven himself. And so the, his, his sacrifice is is, is categorical. Look at the, the it's, we're talking about greater, more perfect. We're talking about most holy. We're talking about one for all time. We're talking about eternal. So we're talking about things that are of ultimate categorical description, not things that are just like, yeah, he did it. No, he did it in the most holy place. He did it at the greater and more perfect tabernacle. He did it once for all time. That's why he's the greatest, because there's no sacrifice that can be uh, um, made for human beings um, in addition to the one that Jesus did. There is no more. No other one is necessary. And no other one could adequately, no other one could adequately do what Jesus did. But his sacrifice is also personal. He goes by his own blood and now he mediates the covenant as well. He offers, the, the, the passage says, himself to God. That's who, that's who he offers. Not someone else, but himself without blemish. And for us, he has obtained eternal redemption. Not for himself. He didn't need that. He's eternal already, right? But he accomplishes and obtains a an eternal redemption for us, one that can cleanse our conscience and give us an eternal inheritance and give us forgiveness, not from each other horizontally, but from God to us. Not just here on earth, but in heaven itself. And he appears in the very presence of God for us, the passage says. This is why Jesus is the greatest, because he removes all obstacles between us and God, a God who never forgets, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But before Jesus became the Lamb, he first became a goat. Yeah, before Jesus became a lamb, he first became a goat. Leviticus 13, excuse me, 16, 20 says, this is, this is Moses. Well, yeah, this is Moses, Leviticus. So when he, this is actually um, Aaron doing the executing, the, who's carrying this out. When he is, has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, all these things used in all the, all the tabernacles, he is to present the live male goat. Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all their iniquities 
into a desolate land, and the man will release it there. This is known in Scripture as the scapegoat. Before Jesus became the lamb, my brothers and sisters, he was a goat on whose head all the sins of the world, including ours, will be placed on, called out on. Whatever sin you could ever think about committing, all of those were placed on the head of Jesus. And probably that the weight of those things is probably what he was feeling when he went into the garden. He asked his father, if you could please, like, if it's possible, like, don't let me drink this cup. Don't let me drink this cup because I feel the sin of the world on me. I feel the hands, the divine hands of God calling out all of the sins that have ever been committed, that would have been committed, that shall be committed, like placed on his head. Jesus, what this goat that we just read about represents is Jesus Christ, who became a goat, a goat that would be sacrificed for you and for me. To become so that he would be the lamb so that he could be the goat, the greatest of all time for us and in the sight of God. Remember that God has given him a name that is above every name and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to him. We're talking about the greatest of all time. We're talking about and we're not talking about it according to our our opinion as we did when we talked about Ali. Was it LeBron? Was it? No, 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 no. We're not talking about any. Forgive me for this, uh, for you who, who might, this may offend, but he's not talking about any small minded uh, assessment of like what's happening with. He's talking about from God's ultimate knows everything perspective. God is the one who's given him a name above every name. God is the one who says he's the greatest. God is the one who does that. God himself, he does it. Before Jesus became the lamb, he was first a goat so that he would be the goat, the greatest of all times. See, for scripture says, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love took for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it wasn't like we positioned ourselves to receive anything from Christ, but because of the love of God, he decided that Jesus would die for us and that we would be in him. Jesus is so ultimate that in Matthew, in his account of what happened when Jesus died, he says this in 27, 50 and 51, but Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The, the veil, the, 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 the thing that separates us from God, which is what that, that, that curtain separated um, the sanctuary from the most holy place. That was ripped from top to bottom. Nobody like it didn't erode from the bottom up to the top. No, from top to bottom, it was ripped because God himself ripped it so that we could have access to him through Jesus Christ himself. I know y'all not excited about that. I know y'all don't care if Jesus died on the cross for you. <laughs> Excuse my sarcasm. But listen to this, because this is not just something to celebrate if we if we know Christ. But remember, I mentioned that that what what first John three says that, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. I may have done done that the King James way, but you got me. Um, He also says that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I know that's King James. But this is what the CSB says in in three eighteen. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But the one who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. Remember, we mentioned earlier that scripture mentioned earlier that his atonement was for the world. His command and invitation is that we believe. So if you're here as a guest, if you're there tuning in with your family. Please believe 
on the name of Jesus Christ. Because when it's all said and done, when everything's said and done, I've had a few things that are said and done now. A few things. Right, school is said and done for me. But there's some things I wish I had done better in school. Parenting young children is said and done for me. But there's some things I wish I had done better when I was parenting young children. In a couple months, a few months in August, parenting teenagers will be said and done for me. There's some things I wish that I had done better. The one thing that we never want to look back on and wish we had done is believe on the name of Jesus Christ when God was moving on our heart and we didn't do it at that time and God never moved on our heart in that way again. Believe you me, nothing else will matter at that time. I've sat by a few beds of people who were on their way to see the Lord. And that has a way of putting things into perspective. People at that point, they're not worried about how much money they have. They're not worried about their last performance review on their job. They're not talking about their, you know, two doctorates. They do talk about their family. And for me, you know, obviously most of these people have been believers. What crystallizes in their mind at that time is that they're going to see Jesus. And while they may have regrets, they understand that an eternal inheritance has been obtained for them, an eternal redemption. And so maybe they may not like the process through which they eventually get to them, but it begins to be crystallized that if God is for them, no one can be against them. So my appeal is that if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following him, I'm not saying follow us. I'm not saying be a member. I'm not even saying be a member of Solid Rock Church. I'm saying put your faith in Christ. That's what I'm saying. Because he's the one who gave his life for you and for me. This is a story that many of us have reconciled ourselves with. We've already done that. So what should our response be knowing what Jesus has done? If we agree that he is the greatest of all time, if we agree that there's no one like him, if we agree that he has no uh, comparable, he has nothing that, 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 that can compare with him, what should our response be? Well, our response, if we go back and grab some of last week's, our response should be like that of Mary. Remember what Mary did? She took uh, what, a, what, what, a, what equated to a, an annual um, salary and she had perfume and she anointed Jesus with it. Mary, uh, she worshiped God with what she had. That's what we need to do. There shouldn't be anything that we have that we do not use to worship God. This is what 2 Corinthians 2 says. It says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. The procession was, 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 is what would happen when a general went away and he defeated his enemies. He would come back and there would be a line behind his horse and his chariot that showed you the spoils of his victory. We, my friends, are part of Christ's triumphal entry and through us it goes on to say spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place Christ became an offering so that we might be an offering an offering to Christ himself to God himself for to God we are the fragrance of Christ 
among those who are being saved and even among those who are perishing. So what we do is we allow the aroma of Christ to permeate us and to flow from us into the world because Jesus is the goat. Jesus is the greatest of all times because there is no one like him no, who could do what he did. So he is our ultimate. Um, he is the ultimate rather. He's the greatest of all times. And he has done something for us that should elicit praise from us, honor to him from us. And that honor and that praise should just be a lifestyle of worship, as we will see when we get into Romans chapter 12, whenever we get to that, that we are to give our life uh, to him as an offering. So that, JP, if you could come up. So that is what we are about. We are about worshiping and praising Christ because he is the ultimate. He is the greatest. He is undisputed. If you watch boxing, which is maybe a little outdated, people probably like MMA now, but better than that. And I, 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 I like MMA as well. But I don't watch it because I still have violent tendencies, and that's part of the old man in me, so I just can't watch that that much. But boxing, one of the things that that some of the greats would do is that they would start off in whatever weight class they were in. And they would gain weight so that they could move up and become a champion at that weight class. Then they would, and, and, and then sometimes they would, they would be different belts, right? They would be like the WBC, WBO, and some other ones, right? Some other divisions. The greats would go and they would try to become champions of every single division so that they would be the undisputed heavyweight champion or welterweight champion or whatever weight champion. Jesus is the undisputed champion of salvation. And he extends it to you. He extends it to whoever you can think about. And some of us have already embraced it. And today we celebrate his resurrection. That death could not hold him down because there was no sin found in him. So he's the ultimate human being. Did everything right. Own cousin baptized him and didn't want to because he knew he wasn't worthy to baptize him. But Jesus submitted himself just as he did submitting himself to be a goat on his way to being a lamb, which makes him the goat of salvation. Let's stand to our feet and worship the goat, Jesus Christ, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world.